Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Our next guest on the podcast is, of course, Captain Dan Blanchard. He is the host of No Ordinary Adventure, a great podcast which I highly recommend you listen to, but also the CEO and founder of a, uh, a cruise specialist. In fact, uh, we refer to them as Uncruise. That's their official name and it because I guess basically it's uh, everything that a, a cruise is is not. But Dan's going to explain a lot more of that. He's joining us live from Seattle. Dan, a warm welcome to Western Australia. Baz, it is so good to be chatting, and, and even better to know that things are opening and changing in our world. Yes, yes. We had some great news for, for the benefit of the listeners. Uh, West, uh, Australia is opening to the rest of the world uh, a little later in the month, uh, so things should hopefully resume, and hopefully we'll eventually see a restart of cruising down here. But uh, we're talking all things small ship cruising and all things uh, elsewhere in the world, and you're a great cruise specialist. But before we get into to you, uh, and the, the brand. Uh, let's, let's let's learn a little bit more about your personal journey. What attracted you to the ocean? What uh, attracted you to start up on cruise? You know, that's a, a long story, but I'll put it in a few words. <laughs> I, I grew up on a tugboat. And, uh, you know, my family had a tugboat from the time I was four through about 20. Yep. And uh, it was just a, a natural waterborne experience. Uh, Got involved with sea scouting, which was a great experience for a young lad to learn the ropes. And uh, then got my captain's license when I was 18, and that just started a, a really fun career for me and, and what eventually led to Uncruise Adventures. Brilliant. Um, and that probably leads into the, the next little question. If, if there's anybody listening that's got a, a younger a potential uh, family member that is considering a, a career at sea, have you got a little bit of advice for somebody that might be, be thinking about that? Well, yeah. And, and I will say my children, I, I gave them the same advice when they were quite okay. young. And, and the advice was this. Listen, if, if you're interested in the water, 
learn the skills, get your captain's license. And even if you decide after college or something like that, you want to do something else, you have this qualification that's what will allow you to work, you know, throughout yep. the world. Yep. And, uh, th- but I would say that, you know, the, for a young person, let's say a, a teenager that starts looking at boats and their future and this kind of thing, you know, the basics are just getting a, a well-rounded education uh, spend time on the water as much as you can. Try to build up sea time so you can start with a, a, a low-level license, and that sea time can be gathered in most countries through private yachts for small small mm-hmm. licenses, and up through you know working commercially on a tugboat or a, a, a crew boat or a tour boat in your town. Those are all things that are really going to help you get it, getting that sea time in early when you're young. Yep. And taking advantage of that is just monumental because you essentially, you know, you might be able to get a license by the time you're 18 or 21 and be employed on the bridge of a, of a, of a vessel as a second mate or a bosun or something. Fabulous, fabulous advice. Thank you very, very much for that. Now, um, you're obviously office bound sometime, but I'm guessing you, you enjoy being out on the, the ocean as much as possible. Life as a captain is generally a pretty busy one. And I, I like to ask anybody that, that works at sea. Over, say, a, a seven-day voyage, is there one activity, one task that you – it's just a highlight. It's just an absolute joy and brings delight to be able to do. Well, the biggest one really for me is not as much about being a captain, but more about being a leader. And mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, as a leader of a crew of, you know, 30, 40, 50 people uh, on our small boats, to be able to, uh, you know, nail a trip – uh, at the end of that trip, just celebrating with my crew about what took place. That is definitely the high. Although I will say, as a captain now, <laughs> when you nail a landing in really bad conditions, that just feels, that's like the epitome. Because all your skills that you've been taught are at play and the fact that you led your crew so they know how to respond and they're trained well. Yep. Uh, that would be the captain side of that. But overall, it's it's the celebration of just mutual success that, that really tickled me every trip. And as you say, it, it takes more than one person to, to bring uh, a ship to shore, as it were. So, you know, teamwork is, is what it's all about there. Um, let's go back a couple of steps. Let's let's talk about on cruise now and kind of what led mm-hmm. you to, to found this great company. I mean, it's been around for quite some time now, and it really is a, a leader in this small ship uh, cruising market. Um, yeah, where, where did it start? What was the idea? And uh, then bring us up to date with what on cruise is today. Yeah, well, you know, to start out with, I have to say one of my former bosses and mentors, a guy named Chuck West, uh, he's passed now. He asked me in my early 20s, what do you want to do in five years, Dan? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, Chuck, I want to be running a, a small 16-passenger vessel up and down the inside passage. I just can't think of anything better. And then I worked for him for 12 years and and went out on my own plank eventually. And uh, I, I think that that passion that we have at Uncruise is because we love so much about what we're doing. For all of us, we're very rooted in it. But as it, as it goes on, you know, what is Uncruise today? Really, what, what we did is we, we designed a product that spoke to us. And I'm speaking of the individuals that originally invested with me and worked mm-hmm. with me. And we were all people that just thirsted for experiential stuff. You know, I had sailed around the world with my children and former wife and, in the early 90s. And, and other people had been, you know, 
star athletes in college, but they were all this experiential, experiential adventure traveler. And there wasn't really anything in that space at that time yep. in cruising. So we, we came up with the name Uncruise. Another name we came up that we didn't use was called Sea Lodge. But oh, yeah. that Sea Lodge name kind of describes, I mean, if, if any of us think about this wonderful backcountry lodge that we stayed in for three or four weeks and either skied or hiked around that lodge, yep. and you take that lodge and put it on the hull of one of my boats, and each morning you wake up in a new area, each morning it's a hub and spoke of activity that goes out, and it's, it's not so much about the cities and the tour shops. In fact, it's not about that at all. It's really about adventure in the great outdoors. Fabulous. Love it. In fact, one of the other things I love is uh, one of the taglines that you had, uh, which was fewer faces and open spaces. Uh, that, that just sums it up. But roughly how many people are on your vessels? Well, you know, it goes from uh, our smallest one, which is a charter yacht, which I'll say, you know, we've had the the Kate Winslets and, uh, you know, the, the names you would recognize on board mm-hmm. this vessel. Uh, it carries 22. And I will add that my daughter is the captain of that. She's in oh, her mid-30s now. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, she found for her that, boy, I can make a nice life doing this and uh, and really chose and stuck with that. But, um, you know, the taglines are kind of funny. We uh, and I and I loved that one, by the way. The one, I mean, that that was a great tagline. Um, but the what we kind of done post pandemic is we, we have a new tagline we're using just recently. We're pumping it out. It's called Break Up With Boring. Love and well. Uh, well, it's it's all about, you know, we've all been sitting and you're in, you're in your home, I'm in my home most of the time, and we haven't been traveling much. So it's, you know, the whole idea that for the next couple of years of breaking up with boring, moving back to what we all desire is, is a big, big thing for us. Yeah, let's break up with COVID. Let's get back out there. Let's let get moving and doing stuff. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. But but fewer faces, open spaces was one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Now, now um, a little sheep geek, chip geek in me has noticed something about your vessels. And it may not mean anything or it may mean something, but I thought I'd throw it out there. I've noticed that you've got some uh, vessels that have a green hole, some that have a blue hole, and you've got two that don't have either. Is there anything in that or have I just picked on something that doesn't mean anything uh, well you're probably uh you're seeing what was a piece of our history that's changing right so okay. we are switching all our vessels to green hulls and um and the reason being is that we're, we're unifying the brand uh-huh. and uh but at one time we had a brand named intersea discoveries which was kind of our uh, pay-as-you-go very low cost for a small ship and then we had American Safari, which were our blue hulls, and Inner Sea Discoveries are green. We merged those right. in 2013, and now we're, we're going to be bringing all the hulls into green. And the differences will be that our, our wilderness boats are our former inner sea boats, which are the more expedition style. Mm-hmm. And our safari boats, in other words, the Safari Endeavor, Safari Voyager, were our blue hulls. So now the safari boats will be recognized as our higher-end accommodations, but the same right. amount of adventure. Yeah, yeah, similar experience. Yeah, and that covers all eight ships that we own and one that we lease. Yeah. Okay, fabulous. Now, uh, one of the uh, the more, not important, but more popular destinations for yourself is, of course, Alaska. You're very close there. In fact, you're heading off shortly after this podcast to uh, head up uh, to Alaska. Uh, but you have no less than six uh, vessels up in the, uh, the Alaskan waters for the Alaskan season. And um, a question that I always got asked when I was out representing another brand uh, for Alaska is, what is the best time to visit Alaska? 
<laughs> the, that is the aged question. And, and I would say just about any time, but I, I would look at it more upon what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, so in, in our de- in our materials, we kind of lay out what kind of sites are available, what's happening the best time of year. For instance, in southeast Alaska, where we operate, the driest time of year is April through about the first week of June. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that's normally would be considered particularly in May, April and May would be considered an early season. But yet it's the driest period in a rainforest. Yep. So if you don't like rain, that's when you want to come. <laughs> and you also, you know, obviously have unbelievable scenery with the snow just above the water and this kind of thing. But then, you know, you have have a portion of the season in the fall where, you know, it's if you get that cool, crisp air uh, and this would be September, early October. Um, that just has a, you, you have a lot of transitory birds. If you're a birder, you kind of want to be in on the transition periods of the mm-hmm. season between yeah. winter and spring and, and uh, summer and fall. So it, it kind of depends what you're looking for. But um, the reason I say anytime is good to go, because in 2024, we're starting with our vessels having one vessel winter uh, start oh, wow. in mid-January going through the 1st of March. Uh, to do winter ski trips and and snow, we have a ski hill in Juneau. We're going to do snowshoeing and cross country skiing, and we're going to go into Glacier Bay when you know it's partially iced up. It looks more like Antarctica than Glacier Bay <laughs> uh, that time of year, and and so that is just going to be a short six week season with one vessel. But our past clients have been asking for this because they, of course, see me my pictures of Juneau <laughs> during the winter, which is just. You know, you can have, you know, you know, four or five feet of snow in town on, on rare occasions. You might have that much. But you go up to a thousand feet, there might be, you know, 15 feet of snow. Yeah. And uh, so people really, they, they look for those experiences, particularly if they're winter recreation folks. Oh, how exciting. I think, as you say, you, your past guests are asking for it. I think that'll sell out in no time. I think it'll be very, very popular. Let's, let's hope you uh, get to either extend the season or even get a second boat in 2025 up there. Uh, count me in <laughs> now uh, actually I'm just going to go back to when I was representing a brand for Alaska I used to get this question and I don't know where this question originated it was what time does the fog lift in Skagway now I made an answer <laughs> up to this because I had no idea uh, but is Skagway known for its fog or <laughs> you know fog is kind of a funny thing in southeast Alaska some years you get almost none of it and other years it picks up particularly it, it tends to be in the later part of summer where the days are still warm, but the evenings are quite cool. Right. So, you know, that'll start in, you know, mid-August and go through, you know, mid-September generally. That's the big period. But to answer your question, when does it pull up uh, out of Skagway? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to the crystal ball that I think is on your shelf back there. Yeah. <laughs> I actually made an answer up that it was generally between ten and ten thirty, and I went with that for quite some years, and nobody ever came back to tell me I was wrong. <laughs> I'm I'm buying it. It's as good as anything else. <laughs> but but it is true that that when we do have fog, it generally lifts before noon. <laughs> now. Um, Let's keep with Alaska just for a second, because obviously there's uh, there's a lot of big white ships that go to Alaska that are very very popular. But the the big ship experience versus what you're offering is is night and day. They they don't compare at all. And so let's just talk about you know some of the things that you can do on your type of vessel that you would never be able to experience if you're on one of those big white ships. Yeah, I mean it it really is an amazingly different product. Um, the name in itself tells you uncruise adventures. But the you know for instance on our vessels you're going to have 
you know, a, a whole group of AM activities in the morning and a whole group of afternoon activities, and then some activities that last all day. So for instance, a kayak group that's just a, filled with people that are maybe the more hardcore, uh, they might get out, have a light breakfast at 6.30 or 7 in the morning, get out by 7 and, and kayak all day and have lunch out in the wilderness. Um, and that typically is, you know, people that just have a thirst for these longer adventures. But then during that same morning period, there's, there's launch trips where people can go around in a powered launch and go whale watching, go sightseeing, stroll on a beach or take a hike. So the whole thing here is, is providing activity, for instance, it's very often that in every couple, one person is more active than the other. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is, is both people in that group are able to find an activity that matches them, whether it's aggressive or whether it's just uh, sitting in the hot tub, reading a book and going for a stroll ashore, you know, at noon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's really important with multi-generational travel, too, because a lot of times we get the the 80 something year old matriarch and patriarch that are bringing their children and their grandchildren along and the range of activity levels that that group wants to do is just all over the board. Uh, so yeah, you'll find that from early morning till usually about dinner time, happy hour, we're very busy with activities and, and such all, all off the vessel on shore, hiking, that kind of thing. Love it. Love everything about it. Now, of course, Alaska isn't just everything that you do. You go to lots of other different destinations. And uh, just thinking of five of them off the top of my head, let's let's give a top tip uh, for anybody that might be considering one of these destinations and was considering a small ship experience with, with Uncruise. Let's uh, start off with an area that's definitely on my bucket list, the Pacific Northwest and Columbia River. Well, you know, the Columbia River and Snake River, 685 miles inland from the ocean through eight locks and dams. I mean, it is stunning. And this isn't like a low-lying river with, you know, shoreline that's very flat with farms. This is rugged mountains on each side. It is probably one of the most beautiful river experiences anywhere. Excellent. Um, Another destination actually already on my bucket list, uh, Mexico and the Sea of Cortez. Well, I I just came back. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, Jacques Cousteau called uh, Mexico the Galapagos of the North. Mm-hmm. And for good reason. They have blue-footed boobies, they have sperm whales, they have blue whales, they have fin whales, humpback whales, gray whales. And the Sea of Cortez just has, this is so nutrient-rich that the fish stocks in there are huge, the turtles are coming back. And it's probably one of the few areas that we travel that is like Alaska in the sense that it's super remote. Hardly yep. anybody gets out there. There's no, there are no roads along the coastline where we go. And, and so what you get is this just unbridled feeling of wilderness. And there'll be times, and this happens more often than not, where you can get, you know, 200 to 1,000 dolphins. Oh, wow. Uh, in these massive superpods. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's just, it's so refreshing to be in that kind of a place, even though it's, it's somewhat of a desert for sure. Um, but to be in a place like that with the sea life and, and, just the feeling of being remote is so strong. Now, you've already touched on this next destination, but it's, it's very popular with uh, people seeking uh, wildlife, of course, Galapagos. Yeah, you know, how can you go wrong, right? I mean, uh, Ecuador did a great job in setting the Galapagos aside as a park a long time ago. Yeah. And, you know, 
60, 70 years ago, some of those trails were built and they're the same trails that have been there. So what's happened is the, the, the critters have all just for all those generations of critters that have been uh, mm-hmm. born and bred along that trail there, they have absolutely no fear of humans. So it's not uncommon to have sea lions or booby birds, you know, nesting and mating right along the trail. Um, so it's, it's, it's very different in that way. And, uh, and of course the species that you see, you know, are like nowhere. I mean, iguanas that swim, I mean, who would have ever dreamed, right? (laughs) Love it. Um, a destination I haven't been to, but uh, somebody else on the podcast recently highly recommended it, Costa Rica. And of course the Panama Canal. Well, and you know, I'll tell you, uh, Costa Rica has been a, a popular destination for, North Americans for some time and for good reason, you know, they, they went and they, to expand their national parks economically, people could put their land in trust in perpetuity and get a tax benefit for that. They still actually own the land, but it's a national park. And, and there's a lot of guidelines and rules about this, but it was a way for Costa Rica to, to preserve hundreds of thousands of precious acres. Um, so you have that aspect in Costa Rica, which is just over the top. And of course, uh, the flora and fauna in Costa Rica can't be beat. But then you go into the Panama, and so often people think of Panama just as the canal. The indigenous tribes of the uh, Embera, for instance, uh, or the, the Kuna natives uh, out of uh, what formerly was known as the San Blas Islands, now mm-hmm. a different native name today. But, but those, that, those indigenous groups in Panama are so authentic and, and they, they oftentimes live very much like they did hundreds of years ago. So Panama has that, that treat of indigenous. And then, you know, for me, a history buff, I go to the fort that, that Captain Morgan sacked on his way to sack Panama City. <laughs> and, you know, and the fort is still standing there from the 1500s and just yeah. is left in the jungle. And it, it's just stunning what Panama has to offer. Excellent. And the next one, which I'm actually quite curious about, because I haven't been there either, Hawaii, which I imagine myself would be all about the, the, the islands and the, the, the people on those islands. But is there a lot of wildlife around the coasts of, coastlines of Hawaii too? Well, one thing is we have the, the humpback whales, one of the first um, groups of humpbacks or groups of whales worldwide that were protected as the the group that transits between Alaska and Hawaii, and that happened in the 30s, wow. uh, the 1930s. And, and so that population in Alaska and Hawaii of humpbacks has come back very, very strong. So we see the same whales in Hawaii that we see in Hawaii, <laughs> or in Alaska that we see in Hawaii. Um, but I think the, the whole thing about us, we all realize that Hawaii is a mass destination, and we get a lot of wonderful Aussies and Kiwis that, that come up, uh, particularly in the the later, our later summertime. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but they, for us, it's, it's really a, more about a deeper look. It's more about the culture. Uh, so we base out of an island called Molokai that really very few Hawaiians have even been to. Oh, wow. And we, yeah, we work with Hawaiian practitioners and uh, people have a chance to actually, you know, plant traditional Hawaiian foods and eat traditional Hawaiian foods and, and hear stories and, it's it's a very very culturally rich experience on Molokai, but then there's also you know all the the beauty of the other islands and and the national parks that are there as well. This is definitely the Hawaii that 
people have never seen, even though they've traveled there yeah. 10, 20 times. Oh, I love it. I love all of them. I'm so excited. I've just added so many places to my, my bucket list. This list gets longer and longer every time I speak to anybody. Well, you've got some great places nearby too, so we I have, get it. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, like the Kimberley is an stunning destination if you haven't been just up our coastline here. Yeah. Uh, so close, so close. Um, now, you touched on some of the activities a little earlier in the in the chat, but um, I know that you know there is no typical day on a, on a cruise or even on, on a small vessel like y- yourselves. Uh, and captains and officers generally have plan A, B, and C just in case things change. But if a day had a similar rhythm, as you know, if we could say go from breakfast to you know cocktails at dinner, um, how would a day kind of pan out? Well, you know, it, it could look, as you mentioned, a lot of different ways, but a, a typical kind of timing would be that there'd be an early rise of breakfast at six. And mm-hmm. that would might be for those that want to get out and do the early morning photography or this kind of thing. And then we'll have typically a breakfast at seven or seven thirty and then get that group out by about eight thirty, nine o'clock. And and then they'll they'll be on activities till around one where they come back for lunch and then repeat the whole afternoon till about six when happy hour starts. And we really look at happy hour and, and everything's included in happy hour, which is sweet <laughs> with us. Yep. So, you know, what happens is you get a heavy social environment without worrying about nickel and dime in you. And, and, and everybody's sharing the adventures of the day. And it, yep. it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like walking into an old explorers club that you would imagine from England, except not quite so formal. Yep. Everybody's just sharing their adventure. So that would be typical, but I, I will say this is one of the things when I meet the boats before people leave, I do a little chat with them and I say, you know, you've all invested based on this brochure. This is how you've invested in this trip. And I said, the first thing you need to realize is this is trash. And I throw it out the door, <laughs> physically throw it, because we're going to adapt our trips for the conditions that make this trip this week the very best trip. Yep. Because it's the, how a trip runs in in June compared to how a trip runs in August are completely different. And then Mm -hmm. there's weather. And, you know, last thing we want to ever do is take the boat someplace that's on the brochure and find out that it's windy and it's super low tide or high tide and there's no beach to roam on. I mean, these are things you have to consider. Now, you touched on an important point there that is uh, popular with many, many travelers, of course, food and uh, dining. Um, What kind of food can we expect on board and our dietary uh, requests uh, an issue at all? You know, uh, we pride ourselves on the dietary request side. Um, My wife is uh, both gluten and dairy free. She's actually can't eat them or she'll be sick. Right. And and so, you know, our model for our crew is that we can have any crew member of any diet and that reflects on what we can do for our guests. Mm-hmm. But in recent years, probably the last eight years, we have t- totally focused on uh, farm to, to table or gather to table, um, yeah. gathering being like fishing in this country. Yeah. Um, and that has uh, our, our real, what we want to provide with people is a sense of adventure. They get out there, they get a little sweat on their brow. We want them to sleep solid. So we have great linens and mattresses. And we want them to have the best healthy food they can get anywhere. And it's not with us. It's more about the luxury of experience rather than a really big cabin, mm-hmm. but, but not having it be experiential. Yeah, so yeah. although we can, we can sell you a big cabin if you want that. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's great. So the regions are really having an influence on the, what people are going to experience in the, in the food on board, which is very, very important, of course. Um, now, a thing that I do love about everything I've seen on your websites and your brochures is that, well, you are very different than most even other small ship operators in that, I guess, expedition travel attracts what people used to call the gray nomads, which I don't really like that term, but your <laughs> brochures, your um, your website just really has a, a a real mix and a vibrancy of the different clientele on boards. And I know you really have a nice focus of solo travel, uh, family friendly, uh, you know, multi-generational. Um, and it, I guess, is that typical of, of the mix of clientele on a typical voyage? Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, certain trips might trend a little younger or a little older, depending on the time of year or the destination. But overall, what we find is that if, if you look at the, uh, the small ship or the cruise industry in general, you know, you're generally talking retired folks. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we certainly have a large group of retired individuals. But with us, it really starts with folks in their 40s. Uh, we're super strong in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and then those folks that are in their 70s and 80s that come along, they're, they're the type of people that maybe went to Europe on 25 bucks a day back in the 60s. Yeah. And, and they, they loved that. They loved that they carried a backpack and they have a trekking pole. But today, they want a nice, comfortable bed and they want to explore at their own pace. So, you know, it's, it, it's really fun to see these women and men come on board that have these great stories from when they were <laughs> college students going to Europe on, on even less than 25 bucks a day yeah, and just yeah. being, being that nomad you talk about. But then of course the, uh, they oftentimes bring their multi-generational families because it is hard to go on any enclosed venue, whether it be a hotel or a ship or whatever, and be able to meet everybody's needs. So we work really hard to make sure that happens. Yeah. And of course, the ships allow for, for charter. So if you've got a large group, a large group of uh, extended friends and family, it's not uh, not unknown for people to take out the whole vessel, of course. Oh, yeah. Particularly with our smaller boats, uh, the 22 and 36 passenger. It's uh, Sometimes families get together with another family and then we can customize it to what their desires are. If they're, you know, their dad, the grandfather is a geologist and he wants to just spend extra time in Glacier Bay, we're going to do it. Brilliant. Now, of course, let's talk briefly about the uh, the, the pandemic and what it did uh, to the travel industry. You were one of the very, very first operators to be able to, to recommence service. And I'm guessing, uh, reading between the lines, that's because just like here in Australia, in North America, they allowed basically locally flagged, locally crewed vessels to operate first. And you were certainly one of those first people to do that. Yeah, it was that. It was also numbers. Um, you know, so yes, within our own nation, we had, we could work with our regulators and our officials to get get operating. But it was also has to do with the nature of numbers. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, obviously, our small boats with with fewer numbers, even though we had cabins reserved for you know, uh, if anybody did test positive, we could isolate them. But that's much different than a you know a ship of several thousand people. It's just harder to control. Yeah. Um, I, I'm proud of the fact we were the, the first cruise in the world uh, of any kind to be fully vaxxed, all crew and passengers on May 1 and yep. of last year. And that, uh, you know, I, we put a bounty out on vaccines for our young crew members because we were what we were finding is that uh, we had these massive vaccination sites that would have 
lots of leftover vaccine at the end of the day yep. that they'd already pulled out. You know, it's too too warm now to put back in yep. to the freezer or refrigeration. And so we paid crew members a thousand bucks to go stand in line for four or five days and put a bounty <laughs> on vaccines. And every one of them got it because they Brilliant. were diligent and they didn't displace a soul. Yep. Yep. No, that's 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 great work. Well done, and of course you've managed to continue cruising all the way through. Uh, most of the world is now coming out the the other side, and you have uh, sailed right through that. What does um, what does life look like on board nowadays? Are we still required to wear masks? Is there any kind of extra uh, attention to detail that's required for for guests on board? You know, um, just like with COVID, it's an ever changing environment. <laughs> you know, last uh, last um, May June, halfway through July. We were maskless, and mm-hmm. the the Delta variant hadn't hit North America at that point. Um, they were, and we were all fully vaxxed and and tested as well. and And we had zero transmission between May and mid July. Yep. And then third week of July, the Delta variant hit. We had to go back to masks. Um, now, right now, today, uh, we're on masks still. Um, because uh, Omicron came along, mm-hmm. but that in North America it is it is dropping like a rock right now. And yep. I, I would not be surprised by the time we operate in Alaska that we're we're able to go without masks again. Brilliant. Yeah, I did read uh, in Europe and uh, in North America that they predict Omicron won't uh, won't exist in four to six weeks. Or so so that's that's yeah. great news for you guys. Um, Let's celebrate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Please. <laughs> want to see the light of day here, my friend. <laughs> well, not only uh, for COVID, but, uh, you know, resources in general. Your website is jam-packed with so much information for the traveler. And one of the extra things that I love is that you also refer people back to uh, a cruise specialist, but not just a cruise specialist, somebody who really understands you and your product. Because, you know, it, it's not only a minefield of information about, about COVID, but comparing what is available for, you, for you, on your own cruise versus another vessel that the, the travel advisor really needs to understand it. And your website does allow people to find somebody in their neighborhood, including Australia and elsewhere in the world to, to find that right person, which is great. Well done. Yeah. You know, and that's uh, you go right to it. You go on travel resources and then find an agent. And these are agents that have sold us, been successful at it. They understand our product. We're not just putting anybody on that list. And, yeah. uh, it's the industry loves it. We feature a different agent every month, and it's it's fun for us too. Because you know, we have we've had long term relationships with these folks, and yeah. we want to see them pop out of this just as much as we want to see ourselves be successful. Exactly. And if somebody was on your website and was considering a, or planning a, a future cruise for with yourselves, um, do you have a personal message for them? Something just to consider? Well, I would say whether it's our website or any travel choices is doing your research will pay off. Um, you know, that is really the key. I think in today's world, we're so used to instant gratification on so many things that we don't always do the research. Um, now it, it's rare, but we occasionally get somebody on board our boat that thinks they're on a large cruise ship mm-hmm. and they, they bring gowns and they expect to have a casino and, and, and you kind of go, how did this happen? Well, yeah. I, I was told it was great from a neighbor, but they never checked it out yeah. and, and vice versa. So, so I would say do the research, get past the slick marketing, get to the root of what any company does. And I think that's going to be your most or your, your biggest asset going into any kind of travel. And likewise, you have a message to your most loyal adventurers that have joined you previously and are coming back very, very soon. 
Oh, it seems like I've been talking to a lot of them lately, Pat. <laughs> Everybody is so anxious for this to be over. Um, I would say, you know, keep keep on keeping on. You know, we we're all in this together, and and I think it's not just a message for our time, but it's a it's a message for all of us that if we want to travel when we're in our seventies, eighties, or nineties, to be in shape, take care of our bodies take care of our head space and so that we can really enjoy these experiences. So yeah. uh, I love that with my guests because they, you know, now I mean, we've been around long enough. We've had people that have done over 20 trips with us and, and they come into my office occasionally when they're in Seattle or Juneau and, and their bodies, you know, they started sailing us with when they were in their fifties and now they're in their eighties almost. Brilliant. And, 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 you know, to see that spark in their eye because they took care of themselves, because they kept a good outlook, to me, that keep on keeping on is a very broad statement for just about everything that, that is Baz, that is Dan. <laughs> love it, yeah. love it. Now, of course, we can't let you go without having a shameless plug for your own podcast. Um, I've listened to a number of episodes. You have some brilliant guests. Uh, tell the listeners all about it. <laughs> well, you know, we really believe in, in bringing the un to everything. <laughs> and, and so when we, 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 we did this, we called it No Ordinary Adventure, which is, again, kind of an un. Yep. And the whole idea here is to spread the love of, you know, you don't have to necessarily travel on a big commercial product. You can find travel in so many unique ways. And that's really my goal on the podcast is to find out how people have found this. Yep. What is their niche? What's, what's, what has lit their life up and how they touched others when they travel. And, and if we can do that, uh, it, to me, that just, that's more important than any dollar value I could ever have on my life. Excellent. And of course, it's available in the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the, the list goes on and on, of course. Uh, brilliant. Uh, I will, of course, put the link to that in uh, the show notes of this episode as well. Now, before we let you go, I haven't told you any of these next questions. I like to have a bit of fun at the end of the podcast with a fast fire round. Very simple. Whatever comes into your head, just throw it back at me. Um, uh, you're packing. In fact, you've just packed. You're heading up to Alaska. Are you a roller, a folder, or do you use those cubes? <laughs> A roller, a folder, do I use the cubes? Uh, I'm a jammer because it's generally going into a backpack. Brilliant. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Mint tea or mojito? Oh, mojito for sure. <laughs> sunrise or sunset? Uh, sunrise. It's my shout at the bar. Uh, we're just about to have pre-dinner drinks. What are you, what are you having? I'm having a rye Manhattan. And if, it, if they have the stuff, a black rye Manhattan. Oh, that's that's that is my drink for sure. Okay, I'll have to, have to get on to that. Um, paddleboarding in Hawaii or kayaking in Alaska? Kayaking in Alaska. <laughs> snorkeling in the Galapagos or a polar plunge? Oh, I'd go snorkeling in the Galapagos on that one. <laughs> Day ashore or at Rich or enrichment at sea? Well, I'd say. I would say enrichment at sea, but go go during the day ashore. <laughs> I love the mix of all. I, you know, I've sailed around the world, so I know what it's like to be at sea for a long time, and I love it. But there's nothing like terra firma. Now, this next question, you are actually traveling. You're about to get on a plane to head up to Juno, as we've mentioned. But if you could go anywhere in the world tomorrow, and it doesn't have to be one of your destinations with your ships, if you could just literally, you need to get somewhere, you want to get there, you've got a ticket off the list, where is it and why and who you're heading there with? It's the Singular Trail in northern India. 
And yeah. it's, uh, I've done it once with my wife before we were together, fully together, before I married. And um, I want to go back there so bad. It's right on the India-Nepal border. And, yeah. and within a day of, you know, you carry a light pack, 15 pounds, within that day of going from tea house to tea house where you overnight and sleep, you might cross the border five times. Oh, wow. And, uh, and they just lift the gate. Wave at you, let you through, and lift the gate again. Wave at you, say goodbye. <laughs> and it's it's not like uh, some of the bigger treks where there's just tons of people. These are almost all local Indians, a few folks from from Great Britain. But uh, yeah, that's that's. Give me a ticket to to India right now, and I'm gone. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. And I've loved this chat, Dan. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to chat with you. Thank you for reaching out to uh, to join the Big Cruise podcast. Um, for the listeners, of course, we'll put the link to the, the Uncruise website, to your podcast and uh, all your different social media channels as well, which I highly recommend everybody um, follows. Thank you once again, Dan. It's an absolute pleasure and you're more than welcome back anytime you like. Baz, that goes both ways, my friend. And uh, you take care. And I, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing Australia out in the world again. Yes, we'll be celebrating later this month. <laughs> all right. Take care. Cheers, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.